Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. Workday will be a first-time advertiser on this year's Super Bowl with an ad featuring Joan Jett and Ozzy Osbourne. Hi, kids. You are listening to the Chad and Cheese Podcast Does Recruitment Marketing. I'm your co-host, Joel Crazy Train Cheeseman. This is Chad. Boolean is back, baby. So wash. This is Julie Pay Equity Cali. And on this episode, 80% of the time, it works every time. More chat GPT goodness, and everyone is getting fed up with the Indeed Glassdoor cartel. Let's do this. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Hi, everybody. Well, hello. It's the J to the Uli. She's back. The J to the Uli. Hello. Is that how the kids are talking these days? They don't. They don't. They can't spell the whole thing out anymore. The J to the U to the L to the I to the E. It's just the J to the Uli. Pretty much the prompt way, the shortcut to actually get to where you need to go. Yeah. Oh, thank you for singing to me, Joel. Right. You missed. You might, uh, last week was it a rapper on uh, Fiverr or something? Thirty-seven-year-old uh, yeah. rapper doing raps on ChatGPT that's making a ton of money. Or he's singing the oh, raps. He's, he's writing raps for Fiverr and making eight grand a month. Yeah. Now, he might be doing it on ChatGPT, but that was not a part of the story. I actually read something that you can you can ask GPT to like write a rap about Donald Trump oh, yeah. in the voice of Tupac, and it will actually like <laughs> do it for you, which is amazing. Yes. Well, it's good with poems, so you know, might be it might be good at that. I don't know if it can if it can Jay Z style or Eminem style it. Although, well, check it out, try it out. If it can't do Vanilla Ice, then I don't want any part of it. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's kind of like Millie Vanilli, right? It's going to, you know, you just voice over it. Girl, you know it. Girl, you know it. Girl, you know it. true. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I love you. More singing for Julie this morning. Yeah, I'm just going to enjoy you guys singing. Yeah. Julie's mic'd up this week, which is good. She had some technical difficulties last time. We're glad she's back. Glad to be back with better quality audio today. Well, that being said, let's jump into some shout outs. Let's do some shout outs. Well, Chad, you you know I like a good LinkedIn poll. You're always about the poll. Doing step, bro. So last week I asked on LinkedIn, (laughs) will the U.S. outlaw TikTok? I was expecting about 80 20, 80 percent saying no, they won't outlaw it. Uh, It it ran about 67 percent to 33. 67 said no, they will not uh, make TikTok uh, illegal. Almost 400 votes on the uh, poll. A few highlights. Uh, Jim, the Indeed Whisperer Durbin, uh, who voted yes on TikTok being shut down, said, quote, it will be I'll put a bottle of bourbon against a bottle of tequila that it happens before the end of 2024. Chad, you were quick to take him up on this bet. We'll see who gets the liquor uh, in January of 2024. Number two, uh, well-known pundit Matt Charney and friend of the show commented, quote, 
it should be shut down. And number three, Trent Cotton, VP of Talent and Culture at Hatchworks, said, quote, I hope not. It's my escape from reality. Shout out to my TikTok poll. Nobody spins a loss better than uh, you do. Maybe Trump does uh, better than you do, Joel. But uh, yeah, two thirds to one third spanking what you what you thought was going to happen. Yeah, that's totally you're pretty bullshit. cocky but on yes. this one, Chad. I'm going to Jim really Durbin, rub baby. it in your face if TikTok gets outlawed. I mean, will they? I'm going to do a major victory lap. Victory lap. Not worry about it. <laughs> will they? Will they not? You know, great question. But should they? That's an entirely different question. Yeah. Who's they? I, Who's they? Uh, you know, the, the government, government deciding. Why they? TikTok is the most potent propaganda tool ever created. Oh, so it's bad for you? Like smoking yes, and drinking, well, right? <laughs> which all come with labels you. that say, yes, exactly. you know, consuming this product may be bad for you. I think they should put a warning label on it when you open the app that says consuming it may be bad for you. So a quick question, does Facebook still exist? And, and they didn't ban Facebook, they, These did are they? fine American companies, Chad. Did they? Right. Oh, yes. I, I, I would like to mention Cambridge Analytica and and how they actually fucked with the U.S. Uh, election. And yet, it is still around. So Last time I checked, Facebook wasn't looking to invade Taiwan. Yeah, Maybe that's yeah, just Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. Because TikTok will make that happen. Uh, I'll say it. I do not want the government <laughs> deciding for me what technology I can and cannot use. I do not want that. As, you know, an American who believes in freedom, I want the freedom of choice to decide what's best for me. And oh, mm -hmm. and if it might be doing things that are not good for me, that's fine. Let me know that and let me make that choice. But to just wipe it out and say Americans can't use it because it's okay. Well, what, what are going to be the consequences of that? What if other companies start to say that about American companies? Like, oh, Google, right? Oh, Apple, Facebook, Twitter, these are all American companies that other countries could turn around and say, hey, right, we have laws in our country that, thanks to Snowden, that let us know that <laughs> anybody can access that information from the government and claim that it's for our protection. So that is a call out to all the countries that, yes, the same thing that the American government is worried about from the Chinese government is also true here. So I don't want to see other companies banning our tech companies. So we should not start that behavior by banning theirs. Let Americans have choice in a, in a land of freedom. You take a look at companies who do get fined by this country versus like Europe. And we have just little piddly ass fines. And then now we want to talk about bans. I mean... You do have a point. We're banning books. We're, we're, we're actually telling people what they can do with their bodies in this country. So I don't know. Maybe we will be dumb enough to actually ban uh, TikTok. But uh, I don't think we will. There's too much money involved. At a minimum, there will be some legislation around social media in general. Maybe not TikTok. Let, let's hope so. <laughs> Please. There's a generation of young people who feel worse about themselves, about their country, about their families than uh, there was in previous generations. And I think social media has a lot to do with that. I will agree with that. I do think that there are some negative outcomes of social media that's having generational effect. How do we solve that? I don't think it's banning it. Well, TikTok is, a, is an external threat. It's, it's a little different. Nothing but fear-mongering. Good I feel like it's like Footloose, right? Like dancing is dangerous. <laughs> you know, let's ban dancing. You know? <laughs> like, Joel um, is John Lithgow in this in this in this point. <laughs> the important point is they'll never Young lady. They'll never outlaw Taco Bell. 
Julie, shout what? out. Oh, shout she- out, babies. <laughs> she, got, like, she got so wrapped up in TikTok. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I'd like to give a shout out to Comprehensive IO. Uh, if you haven't gone there, take a look. Oh, yeah. Since California and uh, New York mm-hmm. have put in pay transparency laws, that's made it possible now to go and index all of the jobs that are out there, and pull in the compensation, and then start to report on some of those things so that we can have an understanding. This was never possible before because companies never made that information public. But now that it is, it can be collected, aggregated, and reported on. So I absolutely love what they've done and what they're providing for free. You go and take a look at it, and you can see some of the major companies in those two states and what they're paying for those open roles today. Totally dig it. Once you go there, you can't go back, kids. My shout out this week is to PagerDuty CEO Jennifer Tejeda. I think is how you how you pronounce it. You said duty. For being a total dumbass and quoting MLK while laying off 7% of her IT staff. Here's the quote. I am reminded in moments like this of something Martin Luther King said, that the ultimate measure of a leader is not where they stand in the moment of comfort and convenience, but where they stand in the times of challenge and controversy, end quote. Jennifer wrote... At the end of an email, replacing some of King's original words. And again, probably not the smartest thing to do when you're actually laying people off to talk about MLK and how MLK is really the foundation of why she feels confident in doing what she was doing. <laughs> yeah. I- is this the same woman that made her staff stay in uh, Florida for the hurricane? Are, are no, they related no, in some they're, way? they're probably friends, though. Jeez, yeah. jeez. Topics. All right, guys, this is from our friends at HR Dive. Workers are demanding salary transparency in 80% of respondents. That's four out of five. And a recent survey by Resume Lab said they wouldn't apply for a job without salary range information included. 77% of respondents said it should be illegal to not include a salary in job postings. Pay transparency has benefits such as reducing recruiting costs and moving towards pay parity, but it also has drawbacks such as causing worker envy and causing employers to compress pay. Job postings for pilots at Netflix aside, Chad, salary transparency seems to be trending with the masses, but are employers listening? Your thoughts. So salary transparency is happening in a localized situation right now. Some cities, some states, right? So not everybody has to disclose compensation currently, but there's going to be so much pressure and we're going to see more states emerge. So what's difficult is that there's different requirements in each locality. This needs to go at the national level. We need a level playing field across the board. It's almost impossible for employers to manage all the different laws within all of the states when you're a national hiring employer. So We need some uniformity in order to do this job well and to deliver on this well. Um, So I do want to see this elevate to the national level so that we can create some consistency. Um, Of course, people want compensation displayed, but it's more than just showing the compensation, right? We've seen those examples where it's like zero to two million in the comp range. Like, hmm, I'll take the two million, please. Um, So how do... How do we start to make sense of this to, to, to make it easier for both job seekers and employers to connect on this? 
companies need to start instituting a pay philosophy of why do you pay what you do? Because you need to be able to answer that question. If you have a candidate interviewing for a role and you show a range of between 50 and 100,000, of course they want 100,000. That's what you showed. <laughs> um, so you need to be able to say, what is the difference between what we're going to pay for 50 and what we're going to pay to 100? It could be tenor. It could be uh, skill and like the level of experience, like the, whatever it is, you need to dis- to have a reason why you pay what you did. And what odds would you give the federal government at at passing such laws? Uh, five years till they feel the pressure. So you think it's a good it's a good chance that the feds will pass a law around this? Okay. Yes, I do because I think that a lot of the larger companies, the national employers, are going to continue to struggle with the management of people in different localities. I also am seeing a consequence come out of this. All right, I'll bring this up. I believe that there's something happening now. Uh, because we don't have consistency across all of the states, we are starting to see what's called what I'm calling location discrimination. And that, right, this is a bias against companies not wanting to hire people in certain states because they don't want to deal with the employment law in that state. California is probably the biggest one that's suspect to this because California is continuing to be so progressive ahead of all of the other states in how the PTO is managed, um, in how there's certain requirements for disclosure. And because their bar is so much higher than the other states, employers are like, God, if I hire people in California, then I have to run a whole different system. I have to manage my payroll differently. I have to manage my PTO differently. And I don't have enough time to run two different administration processes. So let's just not hire in California which now means that if you live in California, that company is having a location bias against you because of your state law. That is happening. So there could still be, and I'm not a legal professional, but just like with taxes, you have federal taxes and local taxes and state taxes. You could still have a federal law and then state laws and local laws that you still have to deal with. So federal law might might solve the problem, but I still think you'd see states like California go above whatever the federal threshold was on uh, on what states uh, states should do or the na- the nation should do, right? And they're being progressive, and that's great that they want to bring all that value to you know the people within their state. But at the same time, if they're too progressive ahead of all of the others, then employers don't want to hire from that state. And I can tell you, there's probably a tremendous amount of people who've been laid off in the tech space that are in California right now, where employers would love to hire them, but they're not interested in bringing in California employment, because they're going to have to then manage that administration that goes with that type of hire. It's interesting because the story talked about worker envy and worker envy is created because there's no parity. Right. So these these employers are actually creating this mess in the first place. If they just focused on equity and treating people fairly, wouldn't be having this conversation. Next, we have a shortcut in how we can actually take the federal government to, uh, like you said, you know, five years, Julie. I I agree. I think we could actually do it faster through uh, government contractors. And if you are a government contractor, you have to abide by OFCCP. And in that case, if you're getting money, if you're a government contractor, you're actually receiving money from the government and you have to abide by different laws. Well, this new 
law could be just for government contractors. And they could do that on the federal scale. What that would do is it would force every single state to actually do what's necessary for these huge employers, right? And then it would trickle down from there. So that's a shortcut to actually force it into play much faster and then get that done. It's interesting because the the, the survey said 79% of respondents said omitting salary was likely due to employers not wanting current employees to know that they're underpaid. So let's be clear. This is the real problem here, kids. This is the real problem for employers. Getting systems aligned to show a salary range on a job is easy compared to bringing the pay of underpaid employees up to the level of fairness. So employers don't want you to know that you're getting screwed, uh, but more, more so they don't want to pay you fairly because that's going to come out of their profits. So this is, this is an issue that companies made themselves and now they're whining and crying about it. It's your fault, assholes. Fix it. Show me a 10 foot wall and I'll show you an 11 foot ladder, uh, is something my dad used to say. And I, I feel like my point of taxes is, is sort of prescient because most people pay their taxes as they're supposed to do. However, there are a lot of people that try to get around paying taxes or using loopholes. I think a lot of companies will abide by not even the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law of being transparent in what you pay people. However, I think there's a certain percentage of companies that are going to have an army of lawyers and try to figure out how do we sort of get around this. And, and Chad, we talked about this on a recent show and I went and looked at some of the legal s, what the law says, some of the ambiguities in the law. Certainly at the beginning, there was questions around what does salary mean? Is that just your base salary? Is it compensation? Is it benefits, healthcare, et cetera? And what I found most recently is, is the law says that you have to submit salary, but everything beyond that is voluntary. So if you say base salary is this, but you can also earn this, is that transparency or is that finding a loophole? The problem is if if I'm a company competing for talent and I'm playing by the rules and saying what our salary is and I've got other companies skewing or jumping through those loopholes and making me look like I underpay for the same job, then I become at, I, I'm at a disadvantage to the company that isn't playing by the rules and that influences me to play their game in terms of being gray and, and ambiguity. I think you're going to see companies create commission structures that they didn't have before to play in that gray area. You're going to see revenue share or maybe benefits that they didn't have before to compensate for that. So to Julie's point, I think a lot of companies are going to lobby Congress to say, look, we're losing to these these people that are sort of playing on the on the line. We need some federal regulation to sort of level the playing field. And until that happens, I think there's just going to be a lot of looking for loopholes. Do we play by the rules or do we not? We're losing talent because it looks like we're not paying enough. I think this is a big mess. I think we're just starting. Uh, federal intervention is probably what's going to have to happen eventually. The thing is, though, if you're pushing salary out there, the companies that are actually you know doing the right thing, they're pushing the salary out there and people are trying to play toward loopholes with commissions – the salary on the commission-based job or bonus-based job is going to be lower, right? So they're going to post their – so they're going, they're, they're going to screw themselves. So that makes no sense whatsoever. So when you start playing this game, yes, you can have commissions, you can have total comp, but salary in itself, what you're going to, where you're going to take home every other week, every week, every month, whatever it is, that's going to be higher, 
If you're playing the commission game, your salary is going to be lower. So you're going to be fucking yourself. Makes no sense whatsoever. I do agree that there has to be a standard and we should be, and again, I think a shortcut is through government contractors. You push that through the entire system changes because it has to, because we have like hundreds of thousands of companies within the, the, the U.S. that are federal contractors today. That's, that changes it overnight. It's, it's intriguing that you said contractors. Uh, there was a story out this week that talked about how more and more companies that laid off people are now rehiring them as contract workers. And that may partially be a symptom of, I don't have to, with contractors, I don't have to play by the rules of pay transparency. I mean, they're all sort of different based on what they think they're worth. So another way of companies getting around this is like, we'll just hire contractors. I mean, but the thing is, there, there are definitely some nuances there, not to mention you can scale down contractors much quicker than, you know, it's easier to than employees, right? Oh, there are a lot of really good reasons to hire contractors, not just the pay issue. Um, but yeah, it, it's another reason why companies might be looking at contract work versus full-timers. Let's take a quick break. And uh, gee, uh, chat GPT, has anyone ever heard of it? We'll talk about that. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Chat GPT time, everybody. All right, an article uh, entitled The Best Prompts for Using Chat GPT for Digital Marketing caught our attention this week. Probably because you could easily replace marketing uh, with recruiting. It summarizes how to use ChatGPT for different aspects of digital marketing, including content marketing, email marketing, search marketing, and social media marketing. The author explains that prompt engineering is a key skill for marketers to learn, such as setting the context, defining the task and goal, and explaining why the copy has been generated. Chad, are you a buy or sell on prompt engineering and how it relates to recruiting. I'm a short-term buy, and here's why. A week or so ago, I saw a spreadsheet posted with the best prompts to use to start better chat GPT conversations. These are shortcuts. That's really what it is. And really, prompts are just the best way to get the information you want from chat GPT quicker, right? So much like back in the day when keyword searching Google and resume databases, recruiters started creating Boolean strings, which is basically just a keyword string shortcut to help users get to the information they wanted faster. It's it's the exact same thing. So it's almost like a rejuvenation of what we saw back in the day, right? So much like Google moved away from Boolean uh, as chat GPT evolves, and it's going to evolve much faster, I think that the need for for spreadsheets of prompts won't be necessary. So I think we're going to see a need for these early on, but tech is moving so much faster today that we were using Boolean strings for shit, 10 plus years. I don't think we're going to need prompts for two years. I agree with you. I think, I mean, it's an incredible 
piece of technology that has so much potential, mm-hmm. but only as good as the user. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, so how do you use it? You know, a lot of people have been giving it a go and beating up on it and trying different things. But if you don't know how to use it well to get a good output by what you put into it, then it's... It's not going to help you. Um, so I do think that there's some skilling that needs to happen for people to be able to use it well. And I, I think this is great to help people see potential by using good prompts is only going to lead to people adding more um, ideas around how they can prompt it to get better outcomes. So mm. as we continue to use it, it'll get better and better. But uh, yeah, we all need to teach each other how we're using it and having success so we can continue to compound on that innovation. But it's going to become a skill <laughs> for yeah. sure. Yeah. So uh, so I, lo- I loved you sharing that, Chad. And the graphic took me back, man. You're right. This is back to the future shit. I'm going to go really old school on you back to like 05. And when I first met Shally Steckrell, his, <laughs> his business card was literally a fold out. Yes. Yes. Where it had Boolean string, like popular Boolean strings, uh-huh. like yep. popular search engines, like aren't that aren't called Google, and the chart looked a lot like what you shared uh, in terms of these prompts. So for me, like either short, I don't know if it's ten years, maybe two years, five years, but you're going to see the rise of these experts on how to write prompts and engineer prompts. Um, they're going to be the the all stars of the conference of the future. They're going to talk at <laughs> at uh, all the conferences we attend. They're going to yes. give you the best prompts to find, uh, write the best ads, write the best uh, job descriptions, yada yada yada. And they're going to be the rock stars. Now, eventually, just like sourcing, you had Seek Out, Hire Tool, Hiring Salt, yeah. like all these companies created technologies where the the normal everyday recruiter could just plug it in, plug in whatever they wanted, and the tech would figure it out. And eventually, there will be startups around ChatGPT and how to like mm-hmm. just push a button and have this thing work and have it appeal to the masses. But I- I'm anxious to see this rise of the uh, the expert of prompts. In fact, I actually went out to, uh, to, to, to GoDaddy and searched PromptCon because I'm like, there's going to be a conference like SourceCon where people just get together and figure out how to write. So PromptCon has been acquired, so you can't get it. So somebody, <laughs> somebody's thinking along those lines. But uh, it's going to be fun to watch this wild west of ChatGPT and, and how people are using it uh, individually until the companies and startups figure out how to make it for the masses. Yeah, share, share, share your tips with others so that we can all learn and innovate on this together. I remember when Shally and Jim used to have Boolean string workshops. Yeah. Right? I mean, they they had workshops that you that recruiters would pay and companies would companies. pay and they would bring them in and they had their own universities that had Boolean like whole catalogs for Boolean. Uh, but once again, we have to remember that was that was back in back in the olden days. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way that chat GPT and I think just tech in itself is evolving so quickly. This is there's going to be a very, very short window where that was a long window that yeah. lasted. I don't think this window is going to last very long. I think you, you might have two years to be able to get into your quote unquote chat prompt. So if you if you want to, to do speeches at Sherm or something of that nature, get into it now because i don't think it's going to be around for long yeah it'll it'll be hot for a couple years i think it, yeah. it'll be in demand uh the, some of the differences are i mean chat gpt and open ai seem like it's sort of built for apis it's sort of built for people to to use it and build on top yeah. of it um yeah. and at least for the moment there's no other chat gpt competitor now once google releases their thing and 
maybe Amazon or, you know, like there'll be people that go like, okay, I'm an expert in open AI. I'm an expert in Google's AI. Like they're going to, people are going to come out and be experts in all this thing. And they're going to make a lot of money. Like you said, companies will pay them to come in. People will attend webinars at a hundred bucks a pop. Like there's a lot of money to be made in this, in this industry. Sell the pixes and the shovels, everybody. You'll make a, a penny. All right, let's hurry up. Let's get to Indeed because I'm I'm waiting to sit back and watch the fireworks. Yeah, this is a this is going to be a big one. So we had a lot to talk about here uh, on it on Indeed sucks our Indeed sucks <laughs> round uh, our block. So a TikTok user who applied to 80 jobs on Indeed uh, received no response from any employer. Uh, TikToker Katie Kepler shows a list of applications she submitted on the platform all of which got marked not selected by employer. Quote, why, why, she writes in the caption, I have applied to 80 jobs and I have received zero reason for why I can't get hired anywhere. And on the other side of the coin, employers are feeling like they have little choice than to use the Indeed and Glassdoor cartel. Terry Kaler at SSM Health said on LinkedIn in response to one of my criticisms of LinkedIn by not uh, highlighting Apple and Facebook as a top 100 employer said, quote, as the main buyer of Glassdoor for my organization and the other job board who is owned by them, that's indeed everybody in case you weren't paying attention, I often get frustrated <laughs> by this feeling that they want to take my credit card and swipe it all day long. And I really don't oh, yeah. have the choice because they own the market. They have the data on job seeker behavior. They have our data and our competition's data. Because they are in control of these things, ultimately, they are also in control of me and my buying behavior. Let's go to Julie. Your thoughts on the disappointing state of job search in 2023. Well, first, I'd love to help Ms. Kepler understand the answer to her question. Why, why, why? I applied to 80 jobs and I've gotten no response. Well, in that TikTok she made it, she also put up a screenshot of some of the jobs that she applied to. Now, I've looked up Ms. Kepler. She has about five years customer service experience. Her work experience is a staff reporter and working in a call center. The three jobs that she screenshotted were a paid media specialist that had over 640 applications to it. So a lot of people were applying to this job, yet she has no indication that she has any experience in paid search, let alone to qualify as a specialist. The other job she applied to was a marketing manager, had 205 applications to it. The other was director of brand development with only about 35 applications on it. So one, here you have a candidate who can just click on a button, easy apply, 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 apply. Now, mm -hmm. how long did it take her to apply to those 80 jobs? Probably less than two hours. Okay. So she's not qualified for those jobs based on her Probably profile. Probably less than two minutes. Well, she applied to 80 of them, right? So click, click, I, I click, mean, click, 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 yeah, click. So yeah. here's this really fast ability to apply for jobs in which she does not appear to be qualified for. <laughs> and now, right? So let's 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 flip the coin, right? There's a recruiter on the other side who in just these three jobs that she screenshotted, there are over 850 applications across these three jobs. So now this other side of this is that somebody has to review those. For her to get the response that she's looking for, someone needs to review them, and then candidates want a response. 
right? So let's just say it takes about five minutes to read a resume and then craft a response to that. If each one of these uh, applications she submitted took about five minutes of review, there was 80 of them, that's over six hours of review time and response, right? So six hours. Let's just say a recruiter makes about $30 an hour. That means all of her applications have costed over $200 in corporate investment for those to be reviewed and responded to. Now you take that by a million, we have an unqualified candidate costing over 200 million being taxed against our hiring that we're doing, right? This is where the problem lives is that candidates do want a response. They want to know why they were not qualified. I think that they should get that. However, that costs money. That costs a lot of money to be able to give those thoughtful responses, right? Every candidate should get at least an automated response that we reviewed your resume and you're not qualified. That should at least happen. But I'd also um, add some advice from Ms. Kepler. Um, if you're going to be applying for roles in marketing, take a look at what is publicly available on your profile. She has a heavy social media presence that's very public. And I, as someone who is a leader in marketing, within 30 seconds of reviewing her public TikTok profiles can, I would just say out loud and very comfortably, I would mark you as unemployable. <laughs> because if you're working in brand, you need to pay attention to your personal brand and what information is publicly available out there on TikTok. So if you're wondering why employers haven't gotten back to you, take a look at your public profile. I do think in this case, Ms. Kepler, there's lots of reasons why. She probably is not getting a response. But I also want to look at the other side of this and say, Indeed is charging on a paper application basis. Yes. So, <laughs> and they're making it easy. I just talked about the investment of time that it would take yes. for a recruiter to even review that. Let's just say each application was uh, $5, right? It cost $400 for all of those applications to happen. Uh -huh. That was billed to the employer for a candidate that did not match their job. So both sides are getting robbed in the experience here. This is where we need to find better solutions for this. Indeed said that they were going to fix this whole fucked up scenario with Easy Apply. Obviously, that's not the case. So pay per start apply, started apply was supposed to be this new big thing that just made sense and it was going to fix this problem. Apparently, that's not true. What you're seeing is more a, a lot of quick applies that turn into rage applies. Rage right? applies, yes. <laughs> so as indeed bullshits their way through and, and, and now they're talking about something from a um, you have to register to indeed to apply. Right now, I don't know if anybody remembers this or not. Julie, you might remember this back in the day. I think it might have been 2016, 17, 18, something like that. It was a no, no to register to apply. Indeed said that that was bad practice. It was bad for job seekers. Well, wait a minute. They're doing it today. And all that's doing is pushing toward this crazy quick apply, rage apply that's happening. I mean, they're, they are the problem. Yes. March. 2017. There it is. Indeed made a decision that any registration prior to application on the employer's site was not a good candidate and job seeker experience. And therefore, <laughs> that belief led to job boards and staffing companies who have a registration process when you land on their site um, to be removed from Indeed so that only direct employers could published jobs. In doing that, right, they made a stance that we care about the candidate experience and we don't think that registration prior to application uh, is a good experience. So that is why 
And then they removed a, a significant amount of companies that depended on Indeed's traffic for their business. Mm-hmm. That was painful. That was so painful. I cried that day with every <laughs> single em- company that I worked with. So many people were infuriated to to understand like why can Indeed, you know, have such power over my business and how am I supposed to carry on? And and I'll tell you what, those businesses did. They found a way to carry on. They found yes. a way to get traffic. They found a way to get candidates other ways than Indeed. Mm-hmm. But right now, employers are are on Indeed. And now, Indeed, go and take a look. Search for a job. It will say right there on your job that belongs to you. (laughs) Must register with Indeed before you can apply. So that means, right, let's talk about what that means. Your job has now become an advertisement for Indeed for people to come into, want to apply to your job, but they're going to have to register with Indeed first. When they register with Indeed, they now are going to continue to receive job search alerts and notifications from other employers. It's Monster.com. Because of your job. It's Monster.com in 1999. It's the same damn thing. Other than they're charging more. By the way, I remember crying (laughs) with job boards in 2010 when Indeed shut them off or made them algorithmically invisible. uh, So many of them. And then we take a look at employers, right? Employers made their own bed. They're doing this to themselves, okay? They spend millions of dollars building resume databases. They have tons of silver medalists, bronze medalists, amazing, amazing, amazing talent in their databases that just atrophy and go away. But yet they bitch and they whine and they complain how much they have to pay for Indeed. Now, I think Indeed's whole PPSA thing is total bullshit. I mean, it's do as I say, not as I do scenario stuff, right? But in this case, the employers aren't looking pass their nose on this. Mm -hmm. They should know better. It's happened to job boards, as Joel said. It's happened to staffing companies. What makes them think this isn't going to happen to them? Oh, yes. I I totally agree with that. Look at the behavior. It repeats itself. It did it to job boards. It did it to staffing. Who's next? The direct employer. And the Mm -hmm. direct employer is at the mercy of what Indeed decides. Now, that decision could be a shift that they want to focus more on small business, mid-market, or enterprise, whatever they decide, they're choosing to serve a market, which may cause one of the employers that are in one of those different segments to get consequences from those choices. We've seen that behavior. But this is what I would say. It's the same advice you're going to get from a financial advisor. Diversify your portfolio. If you put all of your investment in one place, you can't then cry when it's at risk. Right. If you give Indeed and Glassdoor all of your budget and you are not looking to find alternatives, then you are at risk. You're at risk because whatever happens with Indeed is now part of your strategy. And and you have to live with that and adapt that because you did not diversify your portfolio and you have not created a pipeline of other opportunity. You should never put 100% into one source. You should always be sampling other sources. And what's unique is, you know, I sympathize uh, with Miss Kaler, but there was a time where the local newspaper was all you had really to advertise a job. There were free papers, maybe a radio spot, but help one inside. There were incredible limits to how you could market a job back in the day before the web. Now you have programmatic, Google, social media, like, there are so many ways to market your company and your jobs. Mm-hmm. Like you should not have the mentality of I'm 
I am locked in with Indeed and Glassdoor. That's not the case. Like, talk to people, professionals. There are options out there that we have today that we didn't have 30 years ago. And if you're crying about, I can't go anywhere else, they just swipe my card, then you're you're being lazy, frankly. And you need to like yeah. educate yourself on what else you can do to market your company and your opportunities. Or you're not investing in your recruitment marketing, period, right? Recruitment marketing it has a lot of different skills that live within it. It's got an analytical um, competency to be able to look at the data and understand where things are coming from, understand attribution logic. So you're appropriately giving assignment of source to the right place. Um, and then take that to performance marketing, the ability to control and manipulate what you're, you're putting out there to get better outcomes. Um, it has the storytelling that's involved with employer branding, right? There's, there's a lot of work to do in recruitment marketing. And, and if you, are expecting all of that work to be done as part of somebody else's job, right? If your recruiter is responsible for doing all that work, if your HR generalist is responsible for doing that work, you're not investing in it properly. Put a person in behind it. Is there a website I could go to to like get get a <laughs> progressive cutting edge commentary on recruitment marketing? You know, I'm all about empowering the people that do the work of recruitment marketing because the industry is growing so fast. We are having such acceleration. People need to build skill in this area. So at recruitmentmarketing.com, that's exactly what we're doing. We're trying to empower the people that have to do this work with the most relevant information to do the job. You're leading the witness, Cheeseman. That's what we do on this show, Chad. <laughs> recruitmentmarketing.com, people. Chad, Julie, Another one in the can. We out. We out. Wow. Look at you. You made it through an entire episode of the Chat and Chase podcast. Or maybe you cheated and fast forwarded to the end. Either way, there's no doubt you wish you had that time back. Valuable time you could have used to buy a nutritious meal at Taco Bell. Enjoy a pour of your favorite whiskey. Or just watch big booty Latinas and bug fights on TikTok. No, you hung out with these two chuckleheads instead. Now go take a shower and wash off all the guilt. But save some soap, because you'll be back. Like an awful train wreck, you can't look away. And like Chad's favorite western, you can't quit them either. We out. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.